Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast presented by the State Newspaper. We are your go-to source for a quick and informative look into University of South Carolina sports. I'm your host, Greg Hadley, and we are previewing this episode South Carolina's game this Saturday against Texas A&M on the road. Joining me, as he often does, is our reporter, Ben Briner. Ben, how you doing? Doing well. How are you, Greg? Eh, fine. Fine enough. So, Ben, looking at this game... I think Texas A&M is favored by, they opened as a 10-point favorite, and they're up to an 11-point favorite. And this was a game coming into the season that was considered a bit of a reach game, but it is worth noting the Aggies themselves have have a tough schedule, and they've struggled with some of their own inconsistencies. Yeah, Greg, they've definitely run into some issues with their own schedule, which has been particularly brutal at the top end, probably more so than South Carolina's. At the moment, they've lost three games, them being two, Clemson, Auburn, and Alabama. Gave up a lot of points to Alabama. Their defense has been solid, and what's kind of interesting about them is they're not particularly great at any one thing, but defensively and offensively, they're pretty solid overall. Their run game has some nice diversity. Kellen Mond is probably not playing up to his talent level, but he's playing a little better than he was last year. And their defense just has some nice pieces. They're kind of a a testament to how good you can be when you don't particularly have any weaknesses. Now, what's interesting for them is this is kind of a desperation moment because if Texas A&M doesn't win this game, they're following it up with road trips to Georgia and LSU, which they'll probably lose. And if they lose both of those, they're going to end up finishing 7-5. and five. And if South Carolina were to somehow beat them, they'd finish 6-6, six and six, which would not look particularly great considering how much money Jimbo Fisher earns at the moment. So it's kind of an odd spot for them. And yeah, they've been a little up and down. They struggled with Arkansas, struggled with, were not particularly dominant, I should say, against Ole Miss, though they did score a lot of points on Mississippi State. Their season has been kind of weird, and they also opened the season kind of like South Carolina with sort of a a ceiling or a cap on what they might be able to do. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher is a guy that Will Muschamp knows well from working together under Nick Saban. And for as much heat as Will Muschamp is facing at the moment, Jimbo Fisher is getting paid a lot of money. So uh, like you said, a 6-6 and season would not go over well with the Aggies faithful who expect a lot of them. So, I mean, on one hand, you wonder if with those two final games that you mentioned, this might be a game they might overlook. But at the same time, they they really need every win they can possibly get. Yeah, it's been an interesting season for them, and it probably gets a little easier when Georgia falls off the schedule. But they're going to be in an odd spot because they're still kind of figuring out where they are in that SEC West, which is perpetually brutal. And South Carolina, I'll be interested to see if they were able to pull off an upset, what that would kind of mean in the grand scheme of things, because... They're still probably, barring two pretty insane upsets, not going to go to the postseason. So if they were to pick up another solid-ish win, would that help Will Muschamp in a grander scheme? I don't know. Well, in order to pull off an upset, South Carolina will need a lot of help from some guys coming back from injury and also some guys who are kind of, at the moment, doubtful to play. I think questionable to doubtful, as Will Muschamp put it. The guys that are you know, in danger of not playing are running backs Tavian Feaster and A.J. Turner, as well as wide receiver or Trey Smith. The guys that are expected to be back are senior receiver Brian Edwards and Shai Smith. So looking at that injury report, the way Muschamp phrased it, it sounded to me like it would be kind of surprising to see Feaster or Turner or, or Trey Smith see, see them on the field. Yeah, he definitely has been using questionable to mean probably out the past few weeks, and now he's just going straight to doubtful. So I would be generally surprised if any of them played. 
though maybe it's some kind of long-term fake-out, but probably should not expect to see any of those guys. And that puts South Carolina in kind of a hole unless it's backup running backs can step up because they've really... Dowdle has been solid, though he was not particularly good, at least in the running game, coming off that injury in the Appalachian State game. And their receiver spot is pretty interesting right now because Muschamp said several times in that game, Brian Edwards was the only guy they had who could win on the outside. So they were kind of making do with a lot of screen passes, a lot of swing stuff, a fair amount of Kyle Markway, and they just kind of need people who can beat opposing cornerbacks. And Texas A&M's got a pretty decent pass defense, so if Shai Smith... They said he can go, but obviously that's sometimes up in the air. If he's again missing, that could be a real problem. And if he's back, that would definitely help, uh, unless he's not quite playing up to his usual level. And, of course, Shai Smith is dealing with a hamstring, and you know, even when they come back, those can be a little tricky, as we saw with Dakarian Joyner dealing with a little bit of that. I was interested, you mentioned Rico Dowdle's struggles. He came back from a knee sprain, and the running game was just terrible against Appalachian State. You were there. I was up up in Maryland covering a women's basketball game, but you were there. Did it seem like the injury was affecting Dowdle, or was there was, was it more schematic or just a bad game? I don't think it helped. It didn't seem like he was particular he had any particular problems outside of one play where he just flat slipped on the turf. I think that really the problem was that South Carolina just got pushed around up front. Maybe some of that was a little schematic because the Mountaineers kept a lot of uh, kept extra guys in the box and were getting what Muschamp termed run-throughs, which is basically kind of run blitzing and disrupting the play. It happened a lot with uh, their pin and pull, which is sort of their base run at this point. But I think a lot of it was just not playing well up front. The schematic stuff didn't help with the run-throughs and the stack boxes, but they also didn't play well and. There have been a couple games this year where they've sort of gotten pushed around. Getting pushed around by a Sunbelt team is less ideal than even getting pushed around by a bad SEC team, but they definitely got sort of pushed around up front. And Texas A&M has plenty of talent level at the very least. That they do. They definitely can can bring in dudes, and their defense has been solid. I don't think it's been particularly amazing, but it's been solid. I think the run is probably where they're a little more vulnerable. I believe they're kind of middle of the pack in terms of opponents' yards per carry. But South Carolina just has to kind of be able to find that spark that they've had at certain points this season. And Coach Muschamp talked about it in his Tuesday press conference, and he's talked about it before, where, again, when someone like Brian Edwards is the only viable option, teams have just been stacking the box, selling out against the run, and there's just not much Ryan Helinski is able to do to combat that. So Shai Smith's return could help both the run and the pass game. I think that's definitely the case. If nothing else, just kind of shake things loose a little bit, open them up a little bit. Now, he's still going to be healthy enough to beat corners, as uh, we talked about earlier. But if he can do that, that would definitely help. And it's been interesting to watch where this passing game has been going, because there's there's pieces you probably think are good, pieces you like. But a lot of it just hasn't come together. Pass protection's been wildly inconsistent in that game against Appalachian State. Two late plays involved holds from each offensive tackle, including the potential game-winning play that Helinski couldn't connect with Brian Edwards on a, on a pass. But if he had, it would have been erased by the hold, and then the game would have been over. So they've had issues with that. They've had issues with receivers having to play walk-ons. And Helinski at times has had good moments, at times has had a few struggles. Though against App State, he also had seven balls dropped, including one that turned into a touchdown in a game that was one score. So the problems on that passing game are kind of all over the place at this juncture. Of course, we're talking about the nitty-gritty passing game, and run schemes, and all of that, but the overall mood of the fan base really is more just dissatisfied with the trajectory of the program as a whole. 
Uh, we talked with some of the players on Tuesday, and they're talking about still holding out hope for a bowl game, though. I mean, obviously, some of the times they kind of they got to say that. What else are they supposed to say? But from your perspective, I mean, what would it take to, I mean, one game at a time, pull an upset like this? I mean, pulling this upset wouldn't necessarily be impossible. You'd have to have the run game play like it has at points. You'd have to have Brian Edwards and Shai Smith make a bunch of plays. And you'd have to have the defense play like it could. All those things happening together, based on what has kind of happened the past few weeks, probably pretty unlikely. Texas A&M would probably have something to say about that. But the pieces are there to potentially do something like that. Now, beating Clemson is a whole different beast because Clemson can just put the hurt on you in so many different ways, and Clemson is probably going to be some level of uh, extremely angry that they keep having issues in the polls, so they're probably going to want to just stomp a hole in in South Carolina once they get them. So that would be a different beast, but obviously you have to beat A&M before that happens. So I think beating A&M is not unrealistic. I don't necessarily think it'll happen because South Carolina's not playing well and A&M is playing fine, but... Doing that and then pulling off the upset of the year again after the Georgia upset seems pretty far-fetched. Now, granted, I've been in situations, sometimes covering high school ball, you'll run into this when you talk to someone right before the playoffs and they would act incredibly confident, and the 5% of the time that they would pull off an upset, it would just sort of stick in your mind, and you say, yeah, maybe the confidence was warranted. But we'll have to see when they actually play the game on that front. And most of Tuesday's press conference was focused on talks about, you know, bigger picture stuff and coach Muschamp was asked straight out if he was considering making changes to his coaching staff here's what he had to say about that going off of that well there was a report yesterday in football scoop uh basically said that the administration is uh, putting a little pressure on maybe making some staff changes is that true and no, do you ant- that's absolutely false okay and no one has said anything to me about anything about staff changes do you anticipate any staff changes? I'll evaluate the staff when the year's over with them, just like I always do. Yeah, so Ben, hearing that, knowing kind of the situation where it is right now, what is your take on what Muschamp has to do to survive this year if South Carolina loses the next two games, and what maybe his staff has to do to survive? Well, assuming that he holds on to his job, which right now is probably a safe assumption— Though in life, nothing is guaranteed, especially if you finish 4-8 and and things look bad down the stretch. Assuming he comes back, it seems somewhat unlikely that Brian McClendon would end up returning just because the offense has been so very bad. And at times, it seems like they've not really had a great sense of what to do identity-wise. Initially, they were very RPO-heavy. At one point, they kind of switched over to trying to be more run-first and... It just kind of hasn't fit. And also, along with the offensive coordinator stuff, the wide receiver recruiting has kind of gone to a tailspin since McClendon was elevated to his new position. So I could kind of see them making a change just because when you have a season like this, you make some kind of change, and the offense is clearly that much worse than the defense. And so then the question is going to be what, if that happens, what kind of choice comes after that? And it's a little weird because looking at trying to look at some of the offensive coordinator ranks, there's a lot of coordinators. Let's put it this way. A lot of the good offensive teams are run by offensive head coaches who you have the sense have a very big hand in kind of what is going on with that offense. So it's a little like the Kurt Roper situation where he learned under Dave Cutcliffe 
but you kind of got the feel that was always Dave Cutcliffe's offense, and Kurt Roper might not necessarily be 100% kind of in charge of that. So that actually knocks out some of the candidates you might think would be in there. And then you have to kind of start digging, and there's a whole thing with, can you retain Dan Werner because you're going to need a new receivers coach and most offensive coordinators are quarterbacks coaches. So there could be a lot of weird fallout sort of regardless of what happens, assuming Will Muschamp sticks around. Looking across the SEC, LSU exploded onto the scene this year with a revamped offense that has generated a lot. The thought just occurred to me because you were talking about defensive-minded head coaches versus offensive-minded head coaches. Do you think South Carolina might be willing to take a big risk, swing on someone that maybe isn't as proven, seeing that the success it's had in its its own conference? They might, but a lot of that, I think, is going to come down to do they stick fast to the sort of old coaching mantra of going the opposite of what you did last time? Brian McClendon was very, very unproven when they got him. He, I don't think he'd been a play caller at all. He had a lot of ideas, and thus far it hasn't worked. So the question is, do they try to turn to a steady hand, or do they maybe take another swing? I'd have to double-check the background of Joe Brady at LSU, and that experiment has been sort of interesting because they went from... When Orgeron was hired, his plan was to get Lane Kiffin. That didn't work. He hired Matt Canada, who actually built kind of a good offense, but was a little bit of an issue behind the scenes based on some reporting. Then they went back to his previous offensive coordinator last year, and they were just okay. And all of a sudden, everything has clicked with Brady. So a lot of that, I think, is do you find a person who you can say, that's the guy, I trust him, and have it work out? And obviously, Will Muschamp said, that's the guy I trust him about McClendon a few years back, and now we're in a position where we're talking about potentially uh, replacing him as well. Yeah, looking at Joe Brady's background with LSU, uh, I mean, he was with the Saints beforehand and then spent some time at Penn State as well. So, I mean, he had some pedigree to speak of. Yeah, it's interesting now that you mentioned that. I'm remembering that he had some of the, the experience with Joe Moorhead. I think that helped him. And I think some of that's interesting because the NFL stuff kind of gets a bad rap because it used to get a really good rap coming into college football. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I think in his case, I mean, you're talking about a 30-year-old guy, that might just be a case of finding the exact right person at the exact right moment. And the question for Will Muschamp is, can he take a flyer on finding the exact right person at the exact right moment, or does he have to go with someone who he feels like is a little more proven, especially because his staff isn't necessarily going to have some of those older presences that can kind of guide him. I guess Thomas Brown and Eric Wolford could do that to a degree, but it would it would be kind of an interesting fit. Yeah, and like you said, when they when they first hired McClendon, he was a young, exciting prospect, I think, overall in the coaching ranks. Is that fair to say? You know, I think there was some thought he might even be a head coach someday. Yeah, I think Muschamp has said something to that extent, and he definitely was linked strongly to an offensive coordinator opening at Tennessee. So that was kind of something that sort of made it seem a little more immediate to hold on to him. And as we said earlier, the wide receiver recruiting looked to be in a really good spot at that point. And since then, that has not continued at the rate that they would have hoped. All right. You and I will be on the ground in College Station to cover that game and see what comes of it. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. 
You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. Speaking of hitting the road, you were up in Maryland to cover South Carolina women's basketball in a top 10 tilt. What did you kind of take away from that game, and what are you kind of seeing from them going forward this early in the season? I definitely know we spent a lot of the offseason talking about those freshmen, and it seems like a lot of them are delivering maybe a little faster than we expected. Yeah, that was honestly the biggest thing I took away from the game as a whole was coming in, I was, I wouldn't say skeptical, but very curious to see how the freshmen would react in a road environment against a very talented Maryland team that was, you know, a trendy pick to make the Final Four. And I think even Coach Dawn Staley, I don't know, she she didn't come right out and say it, but she was she said going in, you know, I'm not sure how the execution will look, but I know we'll give them a good challenge. And that kind of me kind of spoke to, she wasn't quite sure how they would respond either. And they came out and looked extremely solid. It wasn't the prettiest game. Both teams shot under 32% which is not great to watch, you know, from an aesthetic standpoint. But South Carolina, I don't think, they never trailed in that game. They they came out and asserted themselves and never really let Maryland get into the flow of their offense. The defense was especially important, and the rebounding was very impressive. Last year, the way Maryland dominated South Carolina in a 24-point win early in the season, afterwards, Staley called that an embarrassment. And this time they almost completely flipped the margin in rebounding. Uh, I know you are more a fan of rebounding rate. They they also dominated that as well. And at the center of it all, like you said, is the freshmen, three freshman starters. And at, even more at the center of that is forward Aaliyah Boston, who posted a triple-double in her debut against Alabama State, the first Division One player to ever post a triple-double in her first career game. And then against Maryland, she had five blocks in the first half. She came real close to a double-double. And again, coming into the season, I knew she was good, but I was also, again, a little curious to see how a freshman player, even a six-foot-five, very solidly built player, would handle the physicality of post-playing college. And she has come in and asserted herself more than the other way or than you know players asserting themselves on her and I thought it was kind of funny that Maryland coach Brenda Freeze after the game was talking about one of players that was older than Boston but her same size and who was left out of the starting lineup Shakira Austin and she was like you know maybe one day she'll be a difference maker like Aaliyah Boston and she's saying that and we're only two games into the year and she's already being seen by opposing coaches as a difference maker so if I was a South Carolina fan that that would give me a lot of hope a lot of excitement they don't have another really big test until Thanksgiving. They go to the Virgin Islands, and they'll be taking on Indiana, who's currently ranked, and then the game that I'll be really curious to see is when they play Baylor, ranked number two in the country now, and Boston will get by far the toughest matchup maybe she'll get all season, definitely to date, against All-American Lauren Cox. All right, that is all the time we have for this episode. Keep checking GoGameCox.com for more updates on football, women's basketball, and men's basketball as that season progresses as well. Thanks for listening, and remember to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.